I want to speak on the subject of spiritual warfare. And I think it's very important, especially coming up to a time when we're going into mission. But it's very important for all of our lives. For what happens when a Christian doesn't have a pastor to help them, uh, encourage them, or, or to teach them, or to build their out their door, or phone them in the middle of the night? What happens? You need to be able to learn, and I'm sure we all do, but just in case there's others who are going to be watching and listening, but Christians need to be able to learn to defend themselves against the wiles of the devil. Need to be able to move forward and advance in the name of Jesus. Need to know the scripture and what the scripture says, who you are in Christ, and also what the scripture says you can do through Christ. We're going to look at, it's going to be a strange scripture to open up with, but if you'll bear with me, I promise I'm going to take you somewhere. Will you turn with me to the, uh, the first book of Kings, please? The first book of Kings in chapter 22. Now, I would really need to read all of this chapter, and we'll read as much of it as we can, but I want to take you other places. First book of Kings, chapter 22, verse 1 says, And they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat the king of Judah came down to the king of Israel and the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth in Gilead is ours and we be still and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as Thy horses. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. For the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord? Besides that we may inquire of him. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man. Praise God for the yet one man. He'll take a stand. Isn't that right? There is yet one man, Micaiah the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him. For he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Hasten thither, hither, Micaiah the son of Imlah. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah sat each on his throne, having put on their robes and then a void place in the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah the son of Temanah made him horns of iron. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, with thee shalt thou push the Syrians until thou hast consumed them. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hands. And the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake unto him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them. And speak that which is good. And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. So came the king, so came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, Shall we go against Ramoth Gilead the battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And the king said unto him, How many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me, but evil. And keep your chapter open there. 
Here's the story so far. First of all, we are shown by the Spirit of the Lord the physical world in battle. You had the king of Syria. The king of Syria was at war with Israel. Now, Israel were the northern kingdom where the ten tribes were in the north. And their capital city was Samaria. And they warred one with, they were gathering together and they were warring one with another. And so the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was, Jehoshaphat from the tribe of Judah, the king in Jerusalem, he is, uh, of course, of the same people of the house of Israel. They're all of the same family. But if you notice and you go into their history, Jehoshaphat and the king of Israel here is actually Ahab. We all know Ahab and Jezebel in the story there when Elijah went into the palace. And notice here, they come together and they make an alliance to bring that which God had said, this shall not be together. He rent the kingdom in twain, in two. And they come to bring it together again to make an alliance to go against the Syrians. And because of this, Ahab was a wicked king. He was an idolatrous man. Spiritually, he was not on the same level as Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a godly king. He was a good king. And he followed Yahweh or Jehovah God. And so what happens is they're brought together. And in fact, you'll read the story again in 1 Chronicles chapter 18. And when you read it, when Jehoshaphat answers Ahab, he says this to him. He said, not only says your people are my people as such in here, but he says there was an affinity made between us. Now the word affinity means there was a marriage made. So it's possible that somewhere as kings would marry, uh, kings would marry their sons off on the daughters of other kings for peace terms and to gather alliances. So what God had separated, they had decided to come together. Now they were people in the flesh, as in from the same family, but they were not the same people in the spirit. There was a saved and a lost, in other words. And the thing about it was, was when they come together, every word of knowledge for Jehoshaphat and what Jehoshaphat knew who his God was, was the one true living God. He should not have aligned himself even if it was against another enemy or someone he didn't like because of his brother in the flesh, if you want. And the Bible distinctly tells us that be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We know that's in the New Testament, but that has been taken from way at the very beginning. So there's something here we have to show you. We're showing you the physical world. The physical world and its warfare. We're going to look at it in a moment. For then this chapter will bring us into the spiritual world. And you'll see how the spiritual world influences the physical world. And the physical world being influenced by the spiritual world will determine how we live our lives. And which battles are fought, when they should be fought, how they should be fought, where they should be fought, and whether they will be won or lost. And notice what it says here. It says here that these kings, the king of Judah, or that's where we get the name Jew from. The king of Judah was from Jerusalem, and that was Jehoshaphat. We're told later Ahab was the king of Israel. And they're coming together. And notice if you let your eye run down, when they send for the prophets, let your eye run down to verse 7. These 400 prophets are in Israel. They are ungodly men run by another spirit. They're ungodly men who put up a great show, a great pomp pomp and ceremony, but they are worshipping idols. And even though it may be just a bull calf made of gold or bronze, one in Dan and one in Bethel, yet the idea of it was to stop them going down to Jerusalem to worship the one true living God. So already they're being drawn away spiritually. And they have fallen into deep sin. And we might say, well, it's only a little idol or it's only a little statue or whatever our idols are in our Christian lives. But we must be aware that sometimes the devil can use things to draw you away. He uses things and he places them in our hearts and they overcome our hearts and they overcome our minds to draw us away from walking with Christ. And if you notice here, the Jehoshaphat says in his wisdom in verse 7, Is there not a prophet of the Lord? See the difference. One who is influenced spiritually by the Lord or one who is influenced spiritually by demonic force. And you can see here, this is religion we're talking about now. This is secularism we're talking about. 
So in our, even in our nation, we see religion, we see secularism, and religion is trying to please secularism now. It's trying to please all the things that secularism wants to become more like it. So there's a spiritual wickedness in high places behind this, and there's spiritual good behind what Jehoshaphat is saying. Let's inquire of the Lord. Let's seek what the Lord wants us to seek, for there's going to be a battle. Notice what it says then. Is there not a prophet of the Lord beside, besides that we might inquire of him? Verse 8. The king of Israel said, on, said unto Jehoshaphat, Yet, pardon me, there is yet one man, Micaiah the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. Do you notice the testimony of the one man who has a testimony of the Lord? In all of Israel, in all that place full of darkness and idolatry and spiritual wickedness, full of uh, spiritual adultery before God. And all the things that were happening, they were, they were passing their children through the fire. They were making bronze lavers, as it were, in the shape of the god Molech, and boiling their children alive in them. Thinking they're appeasing God. And yet they should have known the God who brought them out of Egypt. And you can see even whether today it's abortion, that's the spirit behind this. You see young babies being slaughtered and murdered in the womb, helpless without a voice. That is the spirit of wickedness. And yet the secular world wants us to come alongside of them because the secular world doesn't care. The secular world are saying, you know what, we're, we, we're, we're just men and women and we, we'll run our own lives how we want to. But what they don't know, that even atheism and secularism is a religion. And it's run by a spirit. So here you can see the influence of the spiritual world whether it be for good, that is through the Lord, on his Holy Spirit, or whether it is by demonic influence and force. And what it does, it starts to apply things to your flesh. The Holy Spirit applies to your conscience to do right. The devil comes to apply his own spiritual tactics to your flesh to do wrong, to be wrong, to think wrong, to act wrong before God. So there's a spiritual world. The world is more than you and I see sitting in this room tonight. There's a spiritual world. Who knows what's in this room? I believe the Lord's in this room. Who knows if there's angels at the door and our eyes can't see? Who knows there's not a big angel just standing beside you, beholding your face before the Father as it were? Who knows what God has sent his angels and he he has told an angel for you he has said, that I want you to go and I want you to stand beside Gordon Foster. I want you to go and stand beside Tracy Willis and everyone. We go on round. Mark Painter. And we just keep going on. And there's an angel there that has been dispatched for your, for your help. And you say, do you really believe that? Yes, because the Bible tells us it. God does dispatch his angels to help us. But at the same time, the devil may come even in the presence of a preacher in a Bible study. To whisper to your ear, don't listen. Don't heed. Not what I'm saying, but what God says through the weak vessel that's speaking. And so you see the influence of it. When we go out, whether it's go to mission, robbing doors, time of prayer, whether it's at home, whether it's in your own life, there's always a spiritual entity. There's always a spiritual life, an invisible world around us. And it's vying for the souls of men and women. But you know those whom Christ died for? Even what the devil doesn't realize? They're already his. They're already his. Jesus will not be disappointed. He he doesn't want to see men lost and women lost. We understand that. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. We understand that. But Jesus will not be disappointed in the day when he gathers his own together. You know why? The prophet says, he shall see the travail of his soul shall be satisfied. Christ is going to be satisfied. And so look, if you can turn away Christ and say, I don't want you. And you can say, well, you can be saved or lost. If you can say that, then maybe Jesus could have died in vain. But we know he can't. He didn't. And he wouldn't have died in vain. He came, he saved, and he's keeping saving. That's what we're going for a mission for. We're going to say to everybody, come in, Jesus saves. We want to get you under the sound of the word, preach the gospel unto every creature. Then we'll say, Lord, we'll do the seed sowing. You need to do the seed growing. And, and we leave it with him. Spiritual world, invisible world. And there's a fight to go on. We're going to look at the battle in a, in a few moments. And so when they come here, 
Here's all these prophets of Israel, of Ahab's really they're called. Not prophets of the Lord. And you can even have religious leaders and denominations who have prophets unto themselves. Yes, men that stand around them. Instead of having men who will stand up for what God says and what God wants. Here, is there another man? There's yet one man. What a testimony. What a testimony for the king of the nation. Imagine Queen Elizabeth, Her Majesty, sitting in Buckingham Palace and wanting to know what's going on in the planet and yet, or in her kingdom or in the Commonwealth or in Great Britain or whatever, in the United Kingdom, and are saying, bring some men before me that I may hear what they are saying. They're prophesying away. And wouldn't it be wonderful if she had the, the, the wisdom to say and the discernment to say, is there not a prophet of the Lord? And imagine if it was one of us. <laughs> Could you imagine then we were brought in because they knew the testimony that you had. They knew the walk with the Lord that you had. And someone says, well, there's, there's one man here. There's this wee woman down the street. There's this man who, and, and his, name's, uh, you know, his name's Keith Shields. Say, so bring Keith Shields up. What a testimony. Yes. What, a, what, a, what a testimony to have. And this man, Micaiah, had this testimony in all the nation. Bring him up. I want to hear from him. And notice what he says after he mentions his name because he's sitting here and saying, what if, what, if, what if Jehoshaphat, I say, there isn't and this man pops out of the blue and, and he, starts, you know, he starts denouncing the things that are happening in the nation. Yes, there's one, but I hate him. Oh, I hate him. Do you know the wee song? And we used to sing it to the kids when we were teaching the kids. And I am glad, and the kids went, and I'm so glad that the devil's mad, that the devil's mad, for he lost a soul that he thought he had. <laughs> you know, and the devil gets mad at those who stand for the word of God. The devil gets mad for those who want to preach the gospel. The devil gets mad, and listen, even religious leaders will stand against it. You know why? Because it's not their prophets. It's not our prophets. That's a spirit. That's a spirit. And so he says, but I hate him. And the wonderful thing is, you know, Jesus says, for his sake you'd be hated of all men. Now, listen, let's not get try and get spiritual superiority of other people. Let's not stay humble because we're just sinners saved by the grace of God ourselves. But here's the thing about it. When our hearts condemn us, God's greater than our hearts. But if our hearts deceive us not, it is, it says, if our hearts deceive us not, then if we confidence before God, but if our hearts condemn us, God's greater than our hearts. And we can always come to that place and say, Lord, you know my heart. I just want to serve you. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to go against them. But all we're out to do is to see your glory be known among these people. So this man comes up, and as he comes up, he's intercepted. If you look at what it says in Verse 13, the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake to him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like one of them, the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. So before he gets there, this man has him, as we would call it, he has him wired off. Now listen, you, you, you speak what the other prophets speak. And don't you speak anything, even if you believe this is God's word. You play ball and you be politically correct here when you go before the king. Don't dare step out of line because we want the king to be happy. Do what you're told. And the lovely thing about it is, look at what his retort was in verse 14. Micaiah said, as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. Isn't it marvelous to know that even though in, in Ulster, in the United Kingdom, we go further afield, but isn't it good to know that there are still people who are willing to speak up, to speak out, and to stand up, and to stand out, in spite of opposition, in spite of other spirits coming against them, through the guise of human flesh, or maybe it's jealousies, or maybe it's hatred. I hate him, they say. And he says, I, I, you might hate me. Look, 
I don't want to be hated. But I want to do what's right with the Lord and tell the word of God, speak it out in spite of opposition. But here's the thing what happens. Micaiah comes up and what does he do? He does the opposite. It says here in verse 15, so the king, so he came to the king and he said unto the king, and the king said unto him, pardon me, Micaiah, shall we go up against Ramoth Gilead the battle or shall we forbear? For he answered him, go and prosper for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Micaiah says, yes, go and prosper. The Lord's delivered it into your hand. God didn't tell him to do that. Why did Micaiah do that? You see, when he comes up, he says, I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. How many people hear things in, in, in pulpits, in, 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 in arenas, in wherever it is, in conferences, what they want to hear? Do you know why? It brings in the, the big crowds. Paul says there'll be those have, with teachers having itching ears. In other words, we'll tell you smooth things. We'll not tell you things to challenge you. You're not going to be convicted in this place. And the problem is, it's what the people are hearing. They may not like if you told them some of the things you're meant to be telling them. But you're not loving them. And I've often said from the pulpit, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Even if you hate me. Even if you, uh, you turn against me. And so this man comes up, Micaiah, he says to the king, go up and prosper. God's given into your hands. That's what you want to hear. Isn't that what happens? So that's what you want to hear? Okay, off you go. Now look what happens with the king. Verse 16, the king said unto him, How many times shall I adjure thee, that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? Now hold on a wee minute, king. You're on after saying you hate me because I don't tell you. It's because I do tell you that you hate me, really. And so I've come and said, I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. Now I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. There's a big difference, isn't there? Tell them what they need to hear. Now we're getting, this is going into battle. This is spiritual wickedness and this is spiritual blessing. Here's the spirit of God in one. Here's the spirituality behind it, the forces of others. And they're actually clashing 400 prophets versus one. <laughs> Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Eh? And since God be us, who can be against us? And so he comes up and he says, here's what you want to hear. And the king knows fine rightly in his heart. I believe there are many people who are fooling themselves and they're learning the spiritual wickedness they're learning another spirit to take them away into a worldly lifestyle. They're sitting in churches and people, I just well, I was talking to someone today, our church is full and overflowing, but sure, they're going out and having smoke breaks. It's full, there's so many of them coming in. What are they coming into? And what are they leaving like? Are they, are they challenged? Are they convicted? Are they blessed? Are they compelled? What spirit is behind it that these men and women, and they, many of them, many of them know in their own heart, in their own conscience, in their own mind, many people know this, that that's not right. But tell me what I want to hear. Because then my conscience is soothed and eased and I can go out that door. Well, the pastor said so, so it must be okay. The preacher said so, so it must be all right. This man, Ahab, knew fine rightly. Even though he was steeped and deep dyed in sin, he knew this old idolater. He knew with a witch of a wife, and she was a witch, a Zidonian witch. And even though it's all around him, that little bit of truth came in. You know that's not right. God was saying, is that what you want? Do you want to live a lie? Then off you go. Live according to another spirit. And brothers and sisters, we must understand that there are times 
When you're saved, now listen, when you're saved, truly blood-washed, born-again, spirit-filled believers, I believe when God comes in, the devil goes out. But also, I believe that he may come and whisper in your ear. He may come and try to conjole you. He may come and cause you to have temperaments and mood swings and say things that you should never say or do and then cause you to become lethargic and exodistical and lazy before, before him uh, or before the Lord and then to fall away from fellowship and not be reading the word and not in the place of prayer and every time you're doing it, you know what you're doing? Taking off a bit of armor at a time. Got him. Got her. And next thing you know, you're just like the word. But somewhere, if you have been truly, truly born of the Spirit, away in there, you know it's the truth. And you know it's a lie. How many times would you do this against me, he says? How many times would you do this against me? Tell me what the Lord says. Be true. Notice what he says. He says, I saw Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep. Have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. He says, you know what the Lord's saying? Don't go to battle because it's going to bring damage to the house of Israel. Don't go to battle because it's going to bring damage and their reputation is going to get worse and they're going to be like sheep all over the place, afraid and scattered and the enemy will have a bigger, greater, deeper stronghold on you. He says, look, wait the God says. And don't go without him. Get yourself into a place, he says. In other words, get yourself into a place of worship and of prayer. Get yourself into a place where you're walking. Ahab wasn't walking. And here's the worry about it. Jehoshaphat, who was a good, godly king, had made affinity in marriage to him. He had come along and said, I am with you. But listen, they were spiritually unequally yoked together. You see, again, you see the spirit moving here in this. I notice. Verse 18, the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good thing concerning me but evil? I think Ahab's having his on here. He's a bit of a joker. First of all, he's saying, Don't you be telling me. Tell me the truth. And then when you tell him the truth, he says, I don't like to hear that. I told you. He's not. That's not from God. Do you know the ones whenever God is speaking to people and they know fine rightly and you come with the word of the Lord to them, he says, look, brother, you shouldn't be living like that and you shouldn't be walking in that sort of way, sister, and you shouldn't be uh, running around with that crowd because here it is and you shouldn't be marrying that young man because he's not saved and all this sort of stuff. And they go, I want to know what the Lord wants and then you tell them, say, I don't want to know what the Lord wants. That's, that's the king of Israel here. That's Ahab, the king of the northern kingdom. You never tell me what I, what's good. A fella phoned me up late the other night, after 11. Wasn't Gordy Foster. Usually he would. <laughs> but a fella phoned me up late the other night, after 11. I'm not going to it because he's a good fella. He's a good fella. He's a good preacher too. And he had a thing concerning where it was like one of those ones, all these things will I give thee. <coughs> But what some people might have thought was a little bit he had to give over concerning the Lord's day. He phoned me up and he says, I just need to talk to you. What do you think? I said, them that honor me, I will honor. No matter what you'll get out of it, no matter how much you'll get. I says, no matter what you think it's going to cost you, you put Christ first. Now you put him first. And he says, I already knew that. See, you already know. You already know. And he went, he says, you know what? I'm not going to worry. He could have made a lot of money. And he says, no, Christ first. I said, how could you ever step up into a pulpit again and preach living and putting Christ first? And he's a good preacher. And he says, no, you're right. I already knew. I just need to talk to someone. See, so yeah, the, 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 the influence of the enemy would try and cause you to go against God's word and what God would want. And notice this. In verse 19, and he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw sitting on a throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by him at his right hand and on his left. Now, we were in verses 1 to 18, the physical word. Now we're getting to the spiritual realm. 
the physical world from verses 1 to 18. Now we're going into the spiritual realm. He stands before him and he starts talking about spiritual things unto an ungodly king. He starts, as it were, telling him, look, see what you're doing here? You think you were going to go up here, we're going to battle and get the armor on? It's as simple as that. He says, not. There's a spiritual war here and you need to understand this. So Christian, there's a spiritual war on. We need to look at this and understand some things. First of all, he says, he saw the Lord in heaven, uh, uh, the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. Verse 20, and the Lord said, who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on, his, on this manner and another said on that manner. There came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. Now you notice, host of heaven, spiritual realm, the Lord is there. Pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus. Right there before he comes flesh. And all the hosts of heaven around him. He's, oh, he's glorious, isn't he? He's wonderful. And there he is in his pre-existent deity. He says, who's going to go and persuade Ahab? Who's going to go and show Ahab his own wicked heart? Let him have his own wicked way. And the, all the hosts of heaven now are saying, this manner and that manner, we're not told what they were saying, but this is what we'll do, this is what we'll say. And it wasn't going to work, you know why? Because they were the hosts of heaven, they were holy, holy angels. Then comes a spirit. Now notice this. And says, I'll go and persuade him. Verse 22, and the Lord said unto him, wherewith? And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. Now notice this. This is holy God. We, well, we need just to pause a minute here because surely then lying is sinning, which means God who cannot lie. But here's the difference. It wasn't that God was lying nor was he even allowing a liar or pardon me sending forth a liar the idea here is that God and his sovereignty would work all things out at the end but God was also standing back and showing the heart of Ahab the wickedness of this land spirit and if they want to be married one to another then go he'll let them use you and so Ahab He says, these prophets, so-called prophets, these men have come before you and God's put a lying spirit in their mouths to do evil. There's one old preacher who says that it's not that God was trying to do evil or uh, that God was sending forth evil, but that God stood back from the equation in order that God would be justified in everything he does. Do you know every man and woman from Adam, every single one of us, are depraved. Now, depravity isn't just how, isn't really, oh, we can do so bad and we can do so much and so wickedly. You know what depravity really is? The inability to save ourselves. The complete inability to save ourselves. So God would be justified by letting us all go to hell. Why? Because he hates sin. Because we broke law and God would be justified. But sometimes God, we would say, give them enough rope and they hang themselves. God justifies every single action God does. People fall out with the Lord because of something's happened. Maybe a loved one's taken. And I've, I've been in those shoes on quite a number of occasions recently. Lost a lot of my family in a short period of time. And I was going, Lord, what is going on here? What is happening? But I can't blame God. I have to rest in his sovereignty. I have to stand back and say, that my will, but thy be done. But some people fall out and they spit against heaven. And an old Puritan says, uh, that man who spits against heaven will find that it falls back on his own face. Oh, there's it there. And the more we do that, the more it will fall back on our own face. But the more we praise against heaven, or toward heaven, the more we praise into heaven, the more God will pour out the blessing. And so here it's a case of, God lets us get on with our wicked heart 
and in his grace, his sovereignty, and in his mercy, he finds us. There's men and women running around Northern Ireland tonight. And from this Sunday at 8.15 when we go into this mission, and other places around the country, let's start talking just about the one we're at. And they're ruled, and they're under the reign of lion spirits. It could be lion religious spirits. Paul says, uh, no marvel that even Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. It could be not only religious spirits, but it could be demonic spirits, as in from the occult. Occultic practice. But nevertheless, there's a spirit prevailing, even in, let me put it in brackets, in the good people who think they're good enough. It's a lying spirit. It's a lying spirit. What are we to do? We're to take that book. We're to preach the word in the Holy Ghost, the power of the Spirit of God. Breaks the chains of every spirit. Jesus is greater than Satan and sin. And Satan to Jesus must bow. Christ is already victorious. Paul tells us that even the princes of this world, men who crucified him, gathered round the cross, if they'd have known who he was as the, uh, the Lord of glory, they wouldn't have crucified him. You know what the difference was? Lion spirit said he's not Messiah. Lion spirit says he's not the saviour. Lion spirit says, you know, don't worry about this man. Crucify him, get him out of the road. Stick to your religion and never worry about coming to know this Christ. Lion spirits. So when we see that we're in the physical realm for battle, now we're in the spiritual realm for battle. And then if we were to go thirdly, we have the influence and the consequence of battle. Let's just read a few verses and we'll go somewhere else before we wrap this up. Let's your eye run down to verse 24. But Zedekiah, the son of Tenanah, went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to thee? From me to speak to thee. Now notice the capital S. I take up a reading the proper version of the Bible, the King James. So that's the, the, notice the letter S as a capital. Speaking of the Spirit of the living God the Holy Spirit himself. Now this man, he comes and he's already earlier in the chapter made two horns and says, you're going to push back the enemy. You know, very demonstrative. Look at this. See with these horns, these are like the spiritual horns and it really represents the two houses of Israel, I believe Israel and Judah. And you're going to gather together and join together and God's going to push push back the enemy with you. God says, no, no, I'm not. And so now he comes and he slaps Micaiah what way went the Spirit from me to you? The Holy Spirit? <laughs> now here's a man who's deceived. He's thinking if he becomes demonstrative and entertaining, he thinks if he brings something forward that, that, is, that, is, that replaces the Holy Spirit, he thinks that is the Spirit. Unfortunately, we see that in many churches. Substitution of the Holy Ghost. And you know, if the Holy Spirit was to remove out of the churches, you'd probably find that nearly all of the work would continue on without them even noticing it. Because he isn't there. Entertainment takes over. Ritual takes over. Ceremonialism takes over. All these religious practices take over. Everything to mask what is really wrong. There's a lion spirit. Now, brothers and sisters, I know we're a, a mixed group here of blood-washed believers from different areas and even church affiliations, if you want to put it like that. We're all in the church of Jesus Christ. We're all in the body of Christ. But I, I'm a Pentecostal. I have no qualms in saying that. I'm without fear or favor. I'm a Pentecostal. Exactly. And I am not, I'll tell you one thing, but I'm not a charismaniac. That brings madness. That brings madness. Dog barking. You know, people barking like dogs. This is the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost has never made anybody bark like a dog. 
quack like ducks and everything they are. That's not the Holy Spirit. And see, it's a lion spirit. Oh, this is the Holy Ghost. I remember when I passed her in Dublin, there was a wee woman. She was a lovely woman. A really lovely wee woman. She's just passed away recently. A wee woman called Rose. And she came into the church and we're having the prayer and she stood up to pray and she bent right, I can't do it with this thing in my pocket. She bent right down to touch her toes and prayed doing this with her hands. And she was very foolish looking and she's done this. So I went over and I said, are you all right? I thought she'd bowed back and stretched it or something. I didn't know what to think of. And she says, there was a woman, prophetess, came from America to the church and told me from now on the Holy Ghost has entered into your hips and you'll bend in half and intercede for your nation. And that wee woman, a beautiful woman, she was a lovely woman, and that wee woman done that, says, I don't mean to offend you, Rose, but that's a lot of nonsense. I says, now let's show you a more perfect and better way. Let's show you. And again, I'm a Pentecostal, but that's different. I hope. A lion spirit. And a lion spirit will come into the church. We see spirituality working through men in a sense where the spirit and the flesh, as in the carnal world and the visible world and the the visible and the invisible can be seen. We think of Job and the sons of God appear and there's the spiritual world again and Satan appears and he said, the Lord asked him, whence comest thou? He says, I've been walking up and down in the earth and going to and fro in it. See, he's, he's going everywhere trying to distract and he's trying to trail men and women away into hell because he knows his time is short. You see, Christ has already defeated him. It's not the problem that you and I are not on the winning team. Look, I've read the back of the book. I've read the book of Revelation and if you're a blood-washed believer, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testament and they loved not their lives unto the death. So we're on the winning team. We're on the winning side. Christ has paid it all. He's done it all. But the difference is, as I told a story one time, when I was in school, I had a maths teacher called Mr. Anderson and he hadn't a hair in his head and we called him Baldy Andy. And Baldy Andy says one time, he says, look, here's the new maths books and these maths books were yawn thick and you know and I was like you must be joking you're near a school bag alone just to carry that one book and and we brought it home and lo and behold he gave us our maths to do and and as I was reading as I was reading it I was transmogrified I couldn't find out anything I just couldn't work half of these equations out and lo and behold I'm looking at the back of the book and guess what was there you you all had them too didn't you The answers were there. So I just wrote the question and I wrote the answer and I wrote the question and I wrote the answer. I wrote the question and I wrote the answer and I brought my homework into school and I sat it down beside Baldy Andy's desk. And Mr. Anderson takes it and he's marking this and he's all I hear is, uh, Davidson. Yes, Mr. Anderson, come up a minute. Come here, come here, son. So I go up and I'm sat at the side of his desk and he's sitting down and he says, he says, what is this? I says, that's, that's my homework, Mr. Anderson. This is your homework, son. He says, look, What's that and what's that? What's that and what's that? And he goes down the questions and I said, well, that's the question, there's the answer. That's the question, there's the answer. That's the question. He says, did you do all them yourself, son? I said, I did. He says, you think I don't know the answer to the back of the book? <laughs> all right, did you know that, Mr. Anderson? <laughs> and he says, son, let me tell you something. It's not the answer we're looking for. We know the answer. It's the working out of the equation. Learn to work it out. See this walk we have with Christ. We must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're not working to be saved. We're already saved. But we're working it out to walk with Christ, to do our best, to to glorify him in our lives, that we will hear the voice of the shepherd and not the voice of a stranger. That we'll follow him whithersoever he goes. And that's the idea of to work it out. Listen, I'll take you to the back of the book. What's your problem? Let me show you the back of the book. You're on the winning team. But Jesus says, yes, you are. But you have to work it out. Walk with me. Spiritual guidance and leading. So, you know, we see the like of this happening with Job. And go with me briefly, quickly. We'll just flick through some of these. Go to Isaiah 14. This old, this old devil, Hollywood or whatever these, you can call it, has done him a favour. They've done him a favour because 
they show him as a little red man with wee red pointy ears and a wee red pointy tail and a little red trident in his hands. And he's maybe a little bit menacing looking. But, you know, sure, if that's the devil, what are you worried about? Is that it? That's not him. Notice what it says here. God gives us a vision of what he's like now. And then we'll look at something else in a moment. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? Notice, notice the spiritual going into the natural. Wakens the nations. For thou hast said in thine heart, this is what's known as the five wills of Satan. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars, O God. I will also... I will set also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. How blasphemous. And yet, and yet there are men who sit on a throne. There are men who sit in a chair in the Vatican and says, I am God on earth. That's another spirit. There are those who have religious thoughts of us being uh, uh, elevating ourselves into godhood like Mormonism. Not they're saying our God was, was once a person like you who was able to elevate themselves into godhood. That Jesus and Lucifer or Satan and Adam were all brothers in a family in heaven. That's another lying spirit. Jesus wasn't created. He's the eternal. He always was. Adam was created in the garden. Lucifer, Satan, fell from heaven. We find him in the garden. And he says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Do you know what Jesus said when he came from heaven down to earth? Not my will, but thy being done. Think about it. That's the right spirit. Father, it's not me. It's not about me. It's not about my life. It's not about my family. It's not about my friends. It's not about my wills and my wants and my desires. Not what I will, but what I will. Let it be done. That's the spirit we need working in the church. That's the spirit I need working in my life. But when the old other, the old serpent comes, the old devil, Satan, and he comes and he, and he whispers in your ear and you start getting that jealous head on, you go, I will, I will, I will, I will, I want, I want, I want. And the biggest one in the middle or in the, in the way is you. It's a letter I. I, 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 I. Turn to uh, the book. I'll tell you what, why we're there. Look at verse 15. This is what the Lord says. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. <laughs> See, he knows his end. Revelation chapter 20 tells us that the old servant who's the devil from Revelation chapter 12, he says in Revelation chapter 12, it talks about Satan being kicked out of heaven and his tail drawn a third of the stars and coming down and falling down to earth. We find him in the garden. Now he's sitting here saying, I will, I'd be like you. I'm going to arise. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And the Lord says, yeah, that's what you think. You're going to go down to the sides of the pit into hell. Revelation 20 says, and he's cast into a lake of fire. Tormented day and night. Do you know the sad, the tragic thing is? There's people in this country, family members, and a land spirit says to them, You're all right how you are. Go to church, be a good person. Why did you take communion? Why did you just believe the 39 articles? Just hold on to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Don't worry about what God says outside, that he wants you to walk and move and things. Don't worry about coming to a personal relationship in him. Call yourself a good Presbyterian or a good Catholic or whatever you want to call yourself. And he lies and he lies and he lies and people die. And people like me are expected to stand at the grave of a loved one to save their feelings and life rather and say, oh, well, they're dancing around the streets of heaven now when they're not. God forgive me. God forgive us who do that. Because those people are living the lie to be next. Souls lost forever. And there's a mission coming up on Sunday. And the old spirit and the devil's mad about it. And whether it's religious force, or lying force, or demonic witches' coven, or whatever it may be, 
I can tell you this. We have a bigger force. He lives in us. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Turn to Ezekiel quickly before we finish. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. Let your eye run down to verse 11. The Lord is speaking to the king of Tyre. King of Tyre. Well, Tyre was just off where the Lebanon sort of coast would be now. And there was a, a rock island fortress there. It was, called, it was meant to be impregnable. And, but as such wickedness went on it, God turns to look at it. And God says, look at the spirit behind this, what is uh, operating in the king of Tyre. Verse 11, Ezekiel 28, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man. See the term son of man, by the way? You know what it is? Son of dust. You know something? Every time I read that, I think, Lord, that's all I am. I'm just that weak. I'm a son of dust. But when he's in me, when he comes upon us, when we're conscious of his nearness, because of him, we're sons of the Most High God, adopted into the family of God. That's grace. And he says, Son of man, take up a lamentation against the king of Tarras and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now notice, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Who's he speaking to? God is speaking to the king of Tarras and his wickedness, the flesh, the man. But he's saying, see to the spirit behind it, you're the old serpent in the Eden, the garden of God. God isn't fooled whatever way the form the devil wants to take. The devil is just God's ape. He'll do as he's told. And notice this. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Very precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and the gold, and the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in all thy ways from the day that thou was created. Till iniquity was found in thee. God says to the devil, I am the Almighty. And I created you. You were beautiful. This anointed cherub with these pipes, many commentators believe it was for the singing of the angels to be amplified around heaven. The worship leader of heaven. Sometimes you find out. Well, there's a worship leader or someone else. The prima donna of the church starts to think, I'll minister where he is. I minister where he is. And iniquity was found in him and he was cast out. Luke chapter 10. Brothers and sisters, this is where we are. This is where you are because you're blood washed. You have the spirit in you. Verse 17. It says, in the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Jesus says, I was there. And I watched him being kicked out of heaven. I put him out. I evicted him. Now he's here. I'm about to crush him. I'm going to crush his head. Notwithstanding, in, in this rejoice not. Notice that the spirits are subject unto thee, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Isn't that fantastic? What have you got to rejoice about? Oh, we can cast out devils. Not at all. Your names already are. There's not a new name written in glory when you get saved. It was already written down. It was just ticked off. Another one in. <laughs> there he is. Gordon Foster, got him. Yep, that's him. He's in. Keith Shades, Mark Panther, yep, got them all. Tracy Wallace, yep, we got them. 
Go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. We'll finish at this portion of Scripture. For this is how we go into battle, brothers and sisters. You all know this Scripture, but I'll just, I'm not going to dwell on it too much. I'll pick a few points out, and that's going to be it. All right, Ephesians, chapter 5. Pardon me, Ephesians, chapter 6. Sorry. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Then we're going to go through uh, uh, seven parts of armour. Now, we're not going to really go into them too much, but we're, we're going to mention them. But you know there's another bit we've already read that we all miss out on? When you talk about, you know, the helmet and the shield and the breastplate and the girdle and the shoes and the sword, and you can go through them all. But there's a bit we've already read. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might gives you as a word in unimo. And it gives the idea to be clothed with, to put on the garment of his strength, to get ready for battle first. Be in his presence. That's the word in Junomo. Here's the thing, you see, you can religiously put on all these garments. Oh, yes, I believe, I believe, and there's the Bible, and I'll hold it under you. I'll sleep it under my pillow, but that's not in the power of the Lord. And the idea here is to be clothed. And do you know whenever they were going into battle, many of them had dressers. So what they done was they put on their dresser, their, their undergarment on, and they struggle on, and I'd be putting it down and sitting it around Mark, you see, and he'd been standing like this. And as you and I would have been doing this, you'd have been telling me your innermost details for you're about to go to battle. You'd have been telling me about your family and your loves of your heart and your desires and your hopes and your dreams, and I'd be talking to you and I'd be encouraging you, and I'd be saying, Mark, you're going to come back and you're going to do well. And, and this is the way the dresser would have been. Well, here Paul is given the ideas when you're being clothed with Christ. He says, spend time in close communion with the dresser. Let the dresser be close to you. With the dresser. Oh, Lord, we're about to go to battle. I'm a son of dust. And he's putting on the strength. But I know, Lord, that you've told me you'll never leave me nor forsake me. And I know, Lord, that we're safe in your hands and we're washed in the blood. And the dressing, the undergarment's going on. And you're going through all this and he's talking to you and he's saying, Son, I've told you I'm with you. My presence is for you. I'm not against you. You're my child. You're bought with a price. You know, you, you're under my ownership. No, I claim you as my own. And next thing the garment's on, then comes on the, 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 the armor, the whole armor. And notice what it says here. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Put on, wherefore, take unto you. Put on first, right? See the, the terms, there's a bit of a difference in terms there in the Greek, Greek New Testament. It's put it on. But see what it says, wherefore, take it on. It's like a military snap. So see, before now you've been clothed and you're ready. You get your armor to your side and you're about to go on. You've been in the presence of God. You've been talking to him. You've been with your dresser, as it were. You're seeking his face. You're clothed with his strength. And you're ready to say, I'm going into battle, Lord. And he says, right, here's your armor. And you're about to go and say, no, 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 you're not ready yet. You need to make sure your whole armor's on. And the part is, put on. It's right beside you. And it's as if we haven't. And Paul says it like this. Wherefore, put on means, put it on. That's what it reads. Put it on. Oh, what, Lord? He said, where are you going? Put it on. See, that's the problem. We say, I've had a time in the presence of the Lord and I'm away out to do whatever. And the Lord says, no, put it on. I love it when God interferes in my life. I love it. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand, done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. The, the, the girdle of truth was flexible. So when they put it on, it was around the midriff and so the soldier could move. Usually it was leather. It was a toughened leather, but it was soft and flexible and it could move. But it was very important as well. Notice having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, truth and righteousness go together. You can't be righteous if you haven't got truth, for then you've got the lion spirit. Think about this. So truth and righteousness go together. Jesus says, I am the truth. 
So when we have Christ, the truth, the girdle, we have a flexibility in Christ. He puts on his righteousness on us. And it's understanding that we are righteous in him. This is nothing of ourselves. But whatever happens, when we know that it's nothing to do with us, it's all from him and it's all for him, then we can go into battle with our our, our hearts and our uh, important organs, as it were, our spirit covered. But what it was, was it was actually attached to the girdle. It wouldn't stay on on its own. So they actually had to intertwine it with the girdle of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. So every time they were moving, the breastplate could move with it, but it wouldn't fall off. Truth and righteousness, righteousness and truth. There's no good going into a battle and saying, well, we'll have a bit of it. I'm going to believe some of it. You have to have the both of them. Then he says here, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. See the preparation of the feet, the shod, they actually wore studded boots. They wore or sandals with nails in them with the heads sticking out. And this is what it was for. When they were advancing in battle, close, especially in close battle, they stamped their feet in. It's like football studs. Stamped their feet in, got a good grip, and the enemy's pushing against them. They had their shield up. And they got the grip in. And the enemy was pushing and battering at them. And they had a great grip and they couldn't slide back. They couldn't backslide. And every stud counted. See, when you're going into battle, this is it. Get the food in, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is a gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. There's one stud. <laughs> in whom we have redemption through his blood. There's another stud. I can do all things through Christ. Which strengtheneth me. There's another foot and another stud. And you get the scriptures and you say, here's what it is. Devil, are you listening? And the enemy's pushing at you. And he's trying to push at you. And he's trying to defeat you. And he's trying to bring you down. And he's firing everything at you. And you're behind that great shield. And he's trying to get close in with you. And next thing he says, I can't move her. I can't get them to backslide no matter what I do. And then... Above all things, taking the shield of faith. I believe this was like the size of a door. This big shield of faith. The devil came with all these darts, dipped in tar, and lit the enemy. And he used to stick in the door and burn. Now they felt the thought of it. Boom, 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 boom. Get their feet in. Bang, bang, bang. And every time he fired one, it burned, but it wouldn't burn through. They felt the thought of it, but it wouldn't knock them over. It wouldn't push them back. Paul says, like, see if your faith is grounded in Christ, you're going to be attacked. You're going to feel it. You're going to feel every thought of the enemy's wiles. You're going to feel the, the, the heat of the flame. He says, but nevertheless, you will not be burned. And you'll stand behind the faith that Christ has given to you. It's the idea of this. And then when they came in force, they all joined together with their shields. That's the importance of men and women of like faith coming together to meet on the Christ. And so we will finish here. The shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of wicked. And the helmet, helmet of salvation. The mind is the battlefield, brothers and sisters. Your mind is a battlefield where battles are fought and won. Battles are fought and lost. Your mind is where the land spirit comes and says, he'll never forgive you now. He'll never accept you now. You'll never be able to preach again. You'll never be able to work in the children's mouth. You'll never be able to get up and sing. You'll never, actually, who would want you? Everybody thinks you're just a rotten old sinner. You know what? They're probably right. You know, when he sees you, he looks at you through Christ and he sees you with righteousness on you. He sees you in faith, grounded in the scriptures, the gospel, the preparation. And you say, oh, get the helmet of salvation on. Give it all you got, devil. Because it says here, saved. (laughs) Saved. I don't understand why, but I'm saved. I understand how? Through the blood of Christ. (laughs) Saved. I'm saved. And then, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And the sword sword was also tied to the girdle too. So you, you had the word. 
You had the righteousness, you had the girdle of truth, and they all came together. And look, if you stick to the word, you're going to have truth. And if you stick to the truth, you're going to have the righteousness. And if you're righteousness, it proves that you have the truth. <laughs> and if you have the truth, it just shows you you read the word. And you pull it out and you slay the devil with. <laughs> it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so on. Brothers and sisters, we have a great God. And I felt that was on my heart to bring that because I actually didn't mean to go on that long. I apologize for you, Gordy. But I felt people need to hear this is what it is. This is what we need because we're, we're, we're lacking in many areas. And we need to say, Lord, since God before us, who then can be against us? Praise the Lord.